Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-hosts Matt Cummings and Weston Williams. We are live on WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago, 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Call us live on air. Get your opera voice heard, 847-866-9687. All right, tonight, it shocked people when it opened on Broadway in 1971, By 2014, the Catholic Church was blessing productions of it. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, opens at Lyric Opera of Chicago later this month on the heels of John Legend's NBC Easter special. So, the operatic stage, the dustbin of history, we discuss where Superstar should end up. Uh, 20 minutes from now, two-minute drill. We get you up to speed on everything from the past week in Opperland and our hot takes on those stories. And then at the end of the show, we check in with the results from the 2018 International Opera Awards. You can find out how accurate our predictions were. I don't want to give anything away, Matt Cummings. But, but you did quite well. I I thought I might. Just to... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm totally okay. Kidding. And and, and uh, Weston, you did awful. I did not do nearly as well, George. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, more's the pity. More, more's the pity. I hope you just didn't have any money writing on it. Or no, anything. I didn't. I just don't have any money, so you know it all works ah, out. Okay. Maybe next year we should start a betting pool. I think that that might be the way forward. That would for be the awesome. That would be awesome. Actually, thank God I didn't bet on March Madness. By the way, Ooh. there were no winners in this in this March Madness. Yeah, After all those upsets, Toby's Kansas Jayhawks went out. The Michigan Wolverines, my Michigan Wolverines, lost in the final to Villa, the Villanova Supernovas. I, I don't know. I know where Villanova is. It's near Philadelphia. I, I think it's the Villanova Villas. They their their mascot is a manor house. It's the Villas Nova. <laughs> Oh God! And the Cubs open tomorrow. <laughs> Wrigley Field. I, I mean, I look. I love the Cubs, but man, Wrigley Field and Wrigleyville—they j- just drives me up the wall. Makes me so sick to go there now. Why? Is it's this... because it's it's not it's not family friendly. It's full mm. of hotels now, which is absolutely strange. I mean, all yeah, the bars have yeah. always been there. That's whatever. It's really more Cub fans that I hate. Yeah. Well, today <laughs> they all fair. would have gotten covered in snow. So. Yeah, that fun. Not, that, not a great opening day for That was for weird. It. That Happy was April, weird. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's what you're listening to, all right. WNUR 89.3 FM, George Cedarquist in the house with Matt Cummings and Weston Williams. All right, uh, Dale in Phoenix writes into the show and he says, quote, okay, they call it an opera, right? I hope you're planning a review of the NBC Live production of Jesus Christ Superstar. My take, he says, I'm not a big fan of the piece. He's not into traditional Christian theology, and he enjoys classical technique for singers and opera. But, Dale goes on, this is a story which has operatic scope. The style demands a pretty, quote, screamy approach to the voice, which I don't enjoy either. However... I thought the staging of the crucifixion seems very moving. You? The show really belongs to Judas, and I thought Brandon Victor Dixon was terrific. In contrast to me, John Legend was vocally and dramatically underpowered. Now, Matt, you uh, blew your Easter Sunday watching this. I did. Well, I would I would take offense to any that it was not a worthwhile use of my time, because I'm so glad Dale wrote in. 
I am a huge proponent of this piece. I have been listening to the concept album since I was a little kid, and all of it is just 100% in my memory. And I always love getting to see a new spin on it because there's so much that you can do with it. I remember watching the movie version when I was a child, and it just like... It's very confusing. It's There's a lot very going odd. on. It's kind know. of a mess, yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the afros alone in that piece, it, and the scene in like the Israeli tanks are like... Yeah. Dr- it's just so strange. It's maybe the most 70s thing that's ever <laughs> happened with the fashion and the freeze frames and people appearing out of nowhere doing backflips. <laughs> the movie of the Who's Tommy is kind of on is the same there. parallel. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, let's, let's actually start by listening a little bit to the... Um, NBC special, and we're going to get to some of the um, actual Jesus Christ superstar uh, from from Broadway and from what's coming up at Lyric. But um, do we want to start start with the um, the Dixon? Yeah, I want to I want to start with what was a highlight for me, and I'm totally on the same page as Dale that Brandon Victor Dixon in the role of Judas, a really demanding and vocally and dramatically role. I thought he was the standout. And what is he singing and in this clip? And he's singing picked? Superstar, the title track, which comes right near the end of the musical. Time I look at you, I don't understand Why you let the things you did get so out of hand You'd have managed better if you'd had it planned Now why'd you choose it a backwards time in such a strange land? everybody clapping in the background there all, all three of us were bobbing our heads along with that in the studio i have to say i also want to give a shout out to the nbc saxophone section yeah because they always have really good saxophones you listen to their uh to their tv intros there's always a i don't know who they get but they got they get really good saxophones. the band was pretty phenomenal across the board to me on on, on easter evening and what, what really stood out to me about this production is that they went for this n- very modern take on a piece that can often come across as a period piece, you know, because it is very 70s. And if you listen to the mm-hmm. 70s recording of it, it's very, <laughs> very 70s. And it didn't feel that way at all when I was watching it. It felt really modern. And the only reason I could still kind of find those threads from the period pieces is because I knew where they were. But it was staged like a rock concert and that had big audience cheering every moment, whether it was appropriate or not, which offered this really interesting meta commentary for me that they weren't really listening to the words that Jesus was saying. He was just like the next big star. And so he was disposable. Well, no, but they, they weren't (laughs) actually listening to the message. And maybe that's why, maybe that's how all of us approach this story in our lives in a lot of ways. You know, there, I thought there was something to be said for how they were. It's kind of be beautifully put, actually. It was taped at the uh, Broadway Armory, right, in Williamsburg. Yeah. I think, in- yeah. The, the scale is, is epic. And again, when we get to talking about the Lyric Opera of Chicago production, it, it's from the Open Air Theater in London, going to Lyric. Man, are there some similarities or what, Matt? Yeah, it it is really just so out there and the the staging coup that they had with the crucifixion that dale points out i recommend looking it up on youtube if you didn't catch it even just that little bit it is visually absolutely stunning if i can find it on the tube of you i'll put a link onto um, our website operaboxcore.com now um oddly enough in your opinion john legend was not a legend I think that was kind of everyone's opinion on this yeah <laughs> for this uh particular broadcast i I appreciate his taking a risk and trying a role, but the the music's just not written for his type of voice. And he is a musician and performer, and he doesn't. And even though he is, he emotes a lot when he sings. It doesn't really necessarily come across physically the same way that we would expect from an actor. Mm. And the the songs were just frankly too high for him. And even though I thought in a lot of ways he made the best of what he had and was able to summon some really powerful moments. When it really came down to brass tacks, there just wasn't that extra gas pedal there to really step on it and let it roll. I think you're right. In this clip, when he's singing the number Gethsemane towards the end of the show, really does highlight those weaknesses. I should Not 
little of your omnipresent brain. Show me there's a reason for you wanting me to die. You're far too keen on where and how, but not so hard on why. All right, I'll die. Just watch me die. See how I It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We're talking about Jesus Christ Superstar, the recent production on NBC. It's coming to Lyric Opera of Chicago as well. Where does this piece fit into the operatic canon? That was John Legend singing the title role. And man, Matt, does he sound tired or what? It's a long evening for anyone, honestly. Mm. And for everyone involved in that show. And it... It was definitely worth putting it on. So when it comes down to it, I'm appreciative that he he also produced the piece, I believe. So it it was great that a risk was taken, and some of the other things that they all that they tried were just more successful. Frankly, you wanted to compare his performance with uh, one of the London productions. Yeah, we have a clip of uh, Steve Balsamo, I think is his name, and he was in the London production from. Uh, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, and it's it's a lot more Broadway of an interpretation, but it, he's got chops for this, days. Yes, this is the West End revival in 1996, which I did not see, but my brother did see it, and he he loved it. But this How is could you not? this has been a family show for us. I, that's that's all I will say about that. Yeah, so let's let's compare and contrast. <laughs> Show me just a little of your omnipresent brain Show me there's a reason for you wanting me to die You're far too keen on where and how But not so hot on why Yeah, and when you but when you listen to music like that, what really stands out to me is that it's really hard to draw the line between that sort of musical theater and glam rock. It's really there's a lot of David Bowie in there. I mean, it, it's definitely <laughs> in terms of the scale, it's it's a different story. But it is more of a melting pot of music than I think really it gets credit for. In in terms of the the variety of influences that it drew on. Well, Weber does like his pastiche. That, that's very true. But I, I think that's a great segue, frankly, Matt, into like people complain that a piece like this should not be done in the opera house or it shouldn't be produced by an opera company. I, I don't personally see that argument. I, I don't understand where people are splitting hairs and saying that a piece that's epic in scale, epic in story, epic in orchestration does not belong in a venue of that. Sucks. Yeah, and I'll take it even a couple steps further, which are the two of the things that people will often say separate musicals from opera are dialogue and amplification. And I don't really think that the first one has ever been true, because as long as you've right. had theater, there have been, I mean, there, there are Zingspiels, there are the Mozart Zingspiels, there's Operetta, there's French Opera Comique, all of those have spoken dialogue. So to draw a line there has always been arbitrary. And while amplification was true for a long time, it ever since the the 60s when broadway musicals moved 
moved away from the more operetta style into one that needed amplification with musicals like this and Godspell and Hair. Uh, you also see that going the other way with new mo- with now modern operas that use weird instruments are also calling for microphones. I think Nixon and China calls for the singers to be mic'd. I'm almost positive that Grapes of Rap, the Grapes of Wrath by Ricky Ian Gordon calls for singers to be mic'd, and the. And I think in some ways the composers are onto something that the audiences aren't, which is that good theater is good theater. And for me, this piece is good theater because it uh, takes these characters, and maybe I can get flack for saying that part piece of people of religion, but it's like a religious myth, and they're characters too. And we see them all the time as monuments, but in this musical, they're very human, and they have feelings, and they have... Uh, that Desires. was the whole point. Yeah. That was the whole point of when Tim Rice and Angel Lloyd Webber wrote this show, is that what Tim Rice is quoted as saying is that it happens. We don't see Christ as God, but simply the right man at the right time at the right place. He's accentuating the humanity of all of this. I don't see how you could watch Jesus Christ Superstar live and fail to be moved by the score, by the story, and by the people that you see on stage. But on the other hand, <laughs> I, uh, okay, uh, I must get, put a little asterisk on this and say I do have a personal grudge against Andrew Lloyd Webber um, just, uh, just, you know, because I've, I was raised in a very opera household and not in a very musical household. Uh, the... There, you're quite right with the with the amplification thing, but I think uh, in opera the amplification tends to come as a more artistic uh, stance. If it's if they're being amplified, it's not just to be louder; it's because there is some effect that is achieved that is impossible with pure voice. It's definitely a different singing style. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think that's uh, and then of course there's a singing style, and then of course you also I think the, the the big thing that people forget about opera is that opera is not just words and singing and theater, it it, it comes from a specific uh, lineage, uh, specifically starting in of course the Renaissance with people like Claudio Monteverdi, um, who are imitating Greek drama, this uh, sort of heightened form of theater that is ultimately different from everything else, certainly at the time, and still, I think, distinct from any other type of theater, even musicals verging on operatic idioms like Jesus Christ Superstar. But that's not true of all operas anymore, and you could even say that the American musical and the British musical that grew back out of the American musical are as much an extension of that tradition as anything else. They're they're very closely related to... Gilbert and Sullivan, or the French operettas, and you mix in a little bit of vaudeville and 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 some of the music that people were listening to at the time. Right, right, right. So they they're more of a branch than a separate tree. I I, but I feel like for me uh, that branch that split off lost the essential component that was opera because certainly I mean uh, I I don't think Gilbert and Sullivan is really anything but a musical. Uh, uh, What they wrote was they were musicals. They were just with operatic voices but monteverdi operas had popular dance rhythms in them too and music that people might have been singing in other contexts as well this is true and in with with every with every culture there's going to be some uh crossover with whatever the current popular music is but what the point the point of the musical is that becomes that becomes the main thrust it's not there's not something underneath whenever i'm listening to uh musicals and pop music in general I'm I'm listening to it and I might be kind of enjoying it, but there's 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 once you you, you start scraping below the surface in a musicological perspective, and I don't I don't find much. I I I, I just don't I don't. Wait, so you're you're saying that musically, Jesus Christ Superstar is not complex. It's it's not very complex. I mean, it's got some stuff in it that's that's a uh, it's a little bit edgy. Have for... you listened to it mo- the whole way through? Granted, there's, there's, this, that's there's my a other wide asterisk. range of music in there. That's Especially my other depending asterisk. Depending on how it's orchestrated. Yeah, right. Well. Yeah. And uh, but you know, like in the last clip we heard, the the uh, the uh, the the chord progression was dun 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 dun, which is dun, a dun, dun, cla- dun. which is very similar to classic Renaissance and Baroque. But that's descending true. But if you listen lines. to if you listen to <laughs> <laughs> Opera from the 1970s. We are we had gone so far beyond that. Everything is temporarily locked. You can't you can't compare 
think basic things that were happening in the 1600s was what was happening in the 1970s in the same medium. Um, and that, that I think is kind of, and granted, I, I, I do admit, I have not heard the entire musical all the way through. I've heard bits and pieces, uh, and I'm familiar with uh, every other Jesus Well, if you're uh, lucky, Weston, <laughs> Matt and I will invite you to yeah. come see the show, because I'm telling you what, I'm going to be there at Lyric watching. I want to go to every performance. My prayer, <laughs> I just, my prayer is that it, it is so loud that that your ears start to bleed. I, I do just, like loud. I just hope they don't back off on the volume. I, I don't see how too. they could. In a the, space the band like is that. 43 people. Yeah. And I've heard that the set is absolutely breathtaking from and from pictures that it's just epic from the moment you walk into that building. And it, I hope it stays. I, d- I do. I do want to see it. Different. I do want to see it. I'll be there with you. I, I, I oh, will good. be. I'll be bobbing along, and maybe I'll redact my uh, opinion later. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, it opens on April twenty seventh at Lyric, and they're doing a, a, a sort of a semi Broadway style run here, kind of Wednesday through Sunday, Tuesday through Sunday here. And hey, pack them in. I, I hope they're not having problems selling it. I kind of worry. I, lyrics I, I doubt it. I, I don't think, think that they are from what I've from what yeah. I feel like I've seen, but okay. who knows? I know that they, they it, there was a story about a year ago when they announced this that they did pick this one over the originally planned South Pacific because they were worried about South Pacific being able to sell, which I would much rather see this than South Pacific. No so. question. Yeah, that was I thought that was a very smart move. Quote any of this sexual BS, we don't have it. Find out who said that earlier this week. That's next on America's Talk Radio Show about opera, only on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines from the past week in Opperland, two minutes or less. In an interview with British radio station Classic FM Russian soprano Anna Trebko, when asked about recent allegations of sexual assault against high-profile conductors, said, quote, any of this sexual BS, we don't have it, I'm sorry, and I think it's total beep, but if you don't want, nobody will ever force you to do anything, never. If you did it, it means that you allowed that. The decorated director of the Cadets Drum and Bugle Corps in Philadelphia resigned Thursday after nine women accused him of sexual harassment and assault. Allegations against George Hopkins spanned over four decades. Opera Theater of St. Louis has announced the appointment of Andrew Jorgensen as general director designate. He'll succeed Timothy O'Leary on July 2nd of this year as the fourth general director. Jorgensen comes from Washington National Opera, where he was the director of artistic planning and the acting interim executive director. After two seasons as general director of Kentucky Opera, Ian Darer is returning to Dallas Opera at 43 years old. He served as the artistic administrator of Dallas before going to Louisville. He's going back to Dallas to become the general director. The Richard Tucker Award often goes to high-flying sopranos, acrobatic tenors. This year it honors a bass baritone, Christian Van Horn. He's just the third bass baritone to be awarded the prize in the 40-year history. He gets 50 grand and a performance at Carnegie Hall in October. English composer Mark Anthony Turnage was uh, on our show last week in a mention. He's unhappy at some of the reviews for his latest opera, Coraline, and he says he'll write no more. He got into a tweet fight with the uh, London Sunday Times critic Hugh Canning, and he says in his tweet, Don't worry, Hugh. There will be no further operas by me that you'll ever have to sit through again. I'm done with the genre. Going to leave it to my more talented contemporaries and younger colleagues. And on this day, or rather yesterday, April 8th, composer Tom Lehrer turned 90. That's the two-minute drill. This is America's talk radio show about opera with George Cedarquest, Oliver Camacho, 
Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. Thanks for joining us, uh, listening, by the way, tonight. Uh, Opera Box Score, WNUR, 89.3 FM. Matt Cummings in the house. That's me. And Weston Williams. That's me. Okay. Pretty good rundown from um, last week. Thanks to Franklin for the lead on the director of the Cadets Drum and Bugle Corps. Hey, Weston, you were a band nerd. Yes, I was. I was? Yeah, I played played clarinet, tootled along, marched along. It was great. Good time. Of course you played the clarinet, (laughs) Weston. Wait, were you a band geek too, Matt? No, I was too bad at the clarinet to make it that far. You also played the clarinet? I tried for maybe a month, and then I... See, I, I played clarinet for, oh, jeez. I started in fourth grade. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, Let's goodness. start with the big stuff here. Anna Netrebko in this interview on Classic FM. Uh, uh, so those weren't the, her last words on the subject. Just- I, under, I understand <laughs> that. We're going to get to that in one second. And, and thanks to Oliver for, for sending a follow-up on that. When you watch the clip, she is not expressing herself perfectly. Hello. English isn't her first language. I'm right, not going right. to hold that against her. And anyone who's listened to this show knows... Man, I've been on Anna Trepko's ass for years. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I I am always just like, you know, punishing her basically, and I just, what was she trying to say here? So I, I a friend of mine had a hypothesis that I think maybe has some legs, and I'm not excusing or trying to explain away her comments because they are misguided, in my very firm opinion that she's that saying this does minimum minimize what people have experienced whether or not that's what she meant to do mm-hmm. but this is a singer who has been lauded f- as much for her looks as for if not more than for her voice ever since the beginning of her career it's always it has been the press around her has always been about how beautiful she is and i would be shocked if she wasn't a little bit self-conscious about not being taken seriously because she's so beautiful and you're not that beautiful, but by <laughs> but by comparison, okay, fair enough. She she's above the industry. She's, she's certainly she's been, above average. She's been marketed as the as the sexy soprano, exactly. And so when I hear this, especially taking uh t- taking that in mind, it seems to me like she's reacting more to some sort of perceived accusation that that maybe she doesn't have agency in this situation that's going on right now, and she wants to make it clear that she is in command of herself as as an act as a singer as an actress and that that kind of fits in into character with what she said about opera characters that she's not interested in playing she she says that hmm. butterfly she doesn't like does name she doesn't like people that she sees as victims it's not something that she really seems to have a lot of empathy for in her public statements yeah uh, <laughs> that is, that is uh, to be sure. honest <laughs> and that I don't know. What do you, what do you guys well, think? Well, when, when, you, when you watch the video on, on Classic FM, and there's a link on our website, operaboxscore.com, you do see a certain Russian steeliness come through. Like, she looks right into the camera yeah. when she says it. And, like, she is not messing around. No. There's, there's a certain brutality it, it, it to f- it. It felt personal. It definitely felt personal. And, and so I feel like we can't know everything that she said, but... And I say a big but that impact trumps intent in these situations Absolutely. always. Yeah. And so whether or not she meant to say this, it can it is being reasonably construed as not having any empathy for the victims of sen- sexual abuse. And that is not a good look in 2018. Or it is not. And I think but. that's kind of reflected in her sort of uh, Twitter walk back. You know, it, it feels very, very rehearsed, very written Maybe not by her, uh, certainly. What did she say? In the, uh, let in me the see. Uh, it's, okay. Uh, according, uh, this was from her Twitter page. Uh, quote, let me be clear. No victim of sexual assault is ever to blame. While in my career, I have never experienced what I'd call harassment, which is what I, referring to, what I was referring to in this interview. I know it exists in every industry, including opera. I did not intend to suggest that any person, woman or otherwise, is responsible for inviting inappropriate behavior. I reacted strongly to this question because I believe there are legitimate concerns about people losing their reputations and livelihoods from being convicted by public opinion alone. And, end quote. 
Uh, and that that felt like a very prepared that, that, PR. Well, the syntax is perfect, which is not what you get on the recording. And that public, the court of a public opinion line for me always is just uh, it's hollow. It's a straw man. Yeah. And I feel like it's what people. And I, I feel like it 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 doesn't really carry the same amount of water. And I I honestly just wonder if that is actually what she's reacting to. But. We can't really know. I do so. think that if that was what she, if, if if your hypothesis of what she was, if she was reacting to that, I don't think she would put that in her official statement. Yeah. Uh, it, it might be a bit too personal. It, it's it's hard to say, but certainly, uh, and it's and it's definitely a difficult. It's a p- difficult position to be in, not nowadays more than ever, where you are a public figure and the po- politics are everywhere and. And particularly, ev- everything con- is political. And considering the fact that in Russia, gender politics are are very different from yeah. here in the United States. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's, I definitely kind of felt a little bit of that coming through when I watched the the clip as well. Uh, does that excuse it? Not really. Does it impart some understanding? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely something to think about. But the fact of the matter is it's inescapable right. today, still. Right. The other Twitter article on the rundown, of course, was Mark Anthony Turnage. We talked about him on the show last week. He's just uh, had the premiere of his opera Coraline, based on the book by Neil Gaiman, which was at the Royal Opera House. Um, and then he got into this uh, Twitter fight. <laughs> With, with this uh, critic from the Sunday Times and in London. why am I not surprised that it was a, a, a Rupert Christensen review that started all of the controversy? But I really think that everyone is acting like a child in this yeah, situation. It, 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 it does not, <laughs> quite uh, apart from Netrebko's very carefully prepared statement, this is just... Uh, I don't think anyone's really <laughs> thinking very hard no, here. No, no. I, I feel like... Facebook brings out the best in people, and Twitter brings out the worst in people. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I've, you're, I've maybe you're bad really lucky on Facebook. in your Facebook <laughs> friends. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm like never on either I think platform. that could be it. <laughs> I would just be disappointed if Mark Anthony Turnage truly is never going to compose another opera again. I find that hard to believe. I, I feel like, look, this is the guy who wrote Greek, who wrote Anna Nicole. He's written some tough, brutish pieces. He does not to me, seem like milk toast, you know, like a like a delicate flower that's I, just gonna. I collapse. don't even think that this piece was universally panned necessarily. No, I don't think it was. So, I mean, sometimes composers, you know, they only see the the bad side, whatever. Right. But. He he did say, uh, I don't know if it's true, or not. once again, we don't really know. Um, he did he did say that uh, later that the his decision to not do any more operas was not a result of this review, but something he had been thinking about for several months now, I believe was the uh, uh, the date he gave. Um, and if that's the case, I kind of wonder, well, what was the inciting incident for that, you know? Um, we'll probably never know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, although, you know, I, it, it, oftentimes these Twitter wars, you know, just kind of blow over. And, you know, maybe this time next year I'll have another opera and I'll be forgotten about. But uh, I don't know. I'd be interested to find out. It's possible. Very possible. What was else on the uh, rundown there? Oh, Oh, yeah. Christian Van Horn. Christian Van Horn. Okay. Speaking as the lowest voice in the room. By a lot. By by quite a bit. I'm just surrounded by tenors. Um, He's the only the third bass baritone to be awarded the prize in 40 years. That is nuts to me. It's, it's, it's all you tenors going around, wow. singing your high notes and winning awards, and I, for one, am sick of it. It's, it's bass baritone, though. I find it hard to believe <laughs> that there haven't been more than two baritones that have won this award, because mo- I have to say, as a tenor, I often feel like people are like, eh, whatever, what we want is a baritone. Give us a barahunk. Yeah, I, 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 I do feel like, I mean, I don't know if, uh, I don't know what the breakdown is, but I would suspect that Sopranos probably are the leading uh, number of recipients well, for the award. There's more of them than everyone else combined, <laughs> let's, so. Let's make Toby do the stats on that. Do you yeah. want to listen to a let's little Let's listen to a little bit of Christian Van Horn. Do, do you remember what, what you sent me? I sent to? you, uh, let, let's listen to him sing a little bit of Santi Diamant from Tales of Hoffman. Thank you. 
the New York Times article that I picked up that story from says that at 39 years old, he's kind of on the older end, especially compared to past winners, someone like uh, Nadine Sierra. Nadine Sierra is well, a lot younger than that. Yeah, yeah 20, 29. Yeah. Um, and those are big years in vocal development and, and, and uh, professional development also. Your, your 30s right. are really... Where things well, well, certainly, and also for a, a bass baritone, a lower voice, you know, it's it's you 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 need to be older to have yeah. the full command of what's going on. Rule of thumb is that lighter, higher voices develop faster, for sure. Yeah, in ten years, I'm going to sound exactly like that. <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> That's all it takes shouter. is another ten years. <laughs> no, he's he's a fantastic performer too. I he was just in the Faust at, at Lyric downtown. He's very oh, yes, yes. very commanding on stage. He's really really tall. And has this this such a dark, even voice throughout throughout his whole range. It's real. It's very effective. I think he's got a very American voice too. You know, he doesn't sound European at all. He's got a a real USA kind of sound. You know? I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he looks. And when you look at his headshot again, this is just from the Times article. He just looks very American and very wholesome. <laughs> you know, just like just like a guy you would trust. Like Reli- honest- he, yeah, he he definitely I feel is marketed as just he's a reliable, Dude. very good bass baritone, exactly. and that exactly. there's nothing there's that's he great. has that exact same phrase written on the top of his resume. <laughs> there's been some interesting changeover between Washington National Opera and Opera Theater of St. Louis. So uh, at Washington National Opera, uh, Francesca Zambello stepped down as the general director, which meant that Tim O'Leary from Opera Theater of St. Louis was going to move over into that slot. I, I do think she still has some artistic yes. function in the uh, at the company, though. Okay, yes, yes. And then, so while there were changes happening in Washington, Andrew Jorgensen was the interim executive director and now essentially Tim O'Leary is going to Washington and Andrew Jorgensen is going to Opera Theater of St. Louis. Matt, you thought this was a pretty wise move. I think there's really interesting synergy between what the the articles about Jorgensen point out that he's really interested in new work, that he's a big champion of the American Opera mm-hmm, Initiative mm-hmm. that we talked about a couple months ago. <clears throat> and that is really St. Opera Theater St. Louis's jam. They like new music, they like music in English. They do yep, all of their yep. shows in English. And they're, uh, that is one thing that they're known for. And the other thing that in the singer community they're known for is that they have a really fantastic young artist training program. It's one of the best programs that everyone wants to sing for St. Louis in the summer. Uh, and, and, and simultaneously, Washington has got the Domingo Cafritz program absolutely. under its belt as well. So it feels like Jorgensen is really moving into his wheelhouse. You know, young artists, new works, works in English... It feels like this is going to be a really good a good match for him. And look, this Opera Theater of St. Louis is such an important company. I mean, it is the summer opera festival in the Midwest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. With, I, I can't even really think of another one. Well. They, I mean, there are others, but they. Uh, Des Moines. They, yeah, but that's a shorter season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't even think Des Moines would say it was punching in the same weight classes Opera Theater <laughs> yeah. St. Louis. And that's not to hate on them. That's that's just If you're from De- Des Moines, uh, tweet at George and uh, insult him for us. No, we don't, we don't need to hate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how did the Opera Box Score team do with its International Opera Awards predictions? That's up next on America's talk radio show about opera. It's only on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 
WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. Opera Class. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight on a snowy Monday night here in Chicago. Matt Cummins to my right. That's that that is the direction, yes. And Weston Williams to my other right. I think actually right behind you. But you're directly behind <laughs> me. Yeah. Never thought I'd say that in a dark radio studio. Yeah, but, well, yeah, but well, there we go. You know. Come hide uh, in the corner with me. We're talking Jesus Christ Superstar. We did some two-minute drill. We're going to follow up on the International Opera Awards from 2018. If you were listening to the show last week, we made some predictions. Too many categories in order to take them all, but we did pick a couple. Male singer, female singer, education and outreach, stage director, of course, that was my area, world premiere opera, new production, and then the granddaddy of them all, the Opera Company Award. And the award ceremony was just this evening, 8 o'clock Greenwich Mean Time. Oh, yeah. So I don't know what they're doing in London right now. They're probably at the after party. Everyone has, oh, their, yeah. everyone has their Opera Award Oscar, and they're just... <laughs> I just, what are these days? What are these days? I just I randomly need to be in London and just go to it. I don't know why we don't have press kits to it. I don't. I, you didn't ask. Like, yeah. You didn't ask, dude. Uh, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe next year we know. <laughs> maybe next. I think maybe they should start a category for best opera. Best talk opera show. podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think uh, we'd be shooing. How hard could it be to to get a press pass? Do you think? I don't know. I think you would just ask. I mean, it's at the London Coliseum where English National Opera performs. I think you just have that to call them up with That theater is a... enormous. There's, there's no way it's full. There's without. room for everybody. There's room for... I mean, I think it's a great venue, but there's there's room for anybody. All right. Well, how did we do here? So we had seven well, if categories. You, if you didn't listen to last week's show, we got every single prediction absolutely correct. Um, Great, and uh, you can just turn off your radio or your podcast right now, and uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. But if you did listen to last week's show, we'll we'll, we'll get a little more specific. Uh, first of all, my education and outreach prediction for the home team, Chicago Opera Theater, to win was not correct. That's too bad. Uh, which is very. I, sad. I was pulling for them too. You got to root for the hometown. Oh, of yeah, course, you root for you the really hometown do. too. Exactly. And, and, and I have to say, like I said last week, uh, the, the one that ended up winning was Opera Holland Park, which is um, in uh, in England, in London, uh, yeah. uh, London, yes. Um, and it's I, their hometown team. That that is true. So they had the home field advantage, I suppose, which is what put them over the edge. Of course. Um, but uh, I made the point last week that uh, education and outreach, it, it's really got to be an American. American category, right? Because you know we're, we're the ones who need it. We we need we're we're pulling. Way more than our weight in terms our opera companies are doing a lot more education, a lot more outreach because we have to yeah. in a way that these European European companies really don't. They really have um, a head start in a lot of ways. Yeah. No and question. I, I have to say, I'm glad I'm, I'm I, I guess if any European country, Western European country had to win the award, I guess England, it would probably be the. Close Mo- enough. Yeah, close enough. But because uh, they speak English, they they do. But they, they're also having uh, <laughs> some of the same. Uh, some they they do need to do a little bit more outreach than say uh, an opera Germany company in especially, France. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No one goes to the opera in Germany. Uh, <laughs> so- <laughs> George has collapsed with laughter. Uh, yeah, that was just. Uh, I'm crying into my <laughs> beard. Yeah. Well. Into, except I shaved it off. Yeah, yeah it's true. You're, cry- I mean, it's, you're it's crying. You're crying into your bald so. skin. I'm crying into. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know. You could have. You could have played it off. That's right. Just like Weston could have been like, "Hey, you know, that's guess, true. guess who won?" <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could have done. Oh man, yeah. come on, George. Well, I struck me out. As, it's cool. It's cool. I struck out as well. I said that David Bush would win the uh, director be on the basis of the number of new productions that he's churned out this year, and um, Mario Strelinsky, the poll. Managed to snag this one. I mean, he, he's done some great work. What can I say? I just, again, when you look at that list of directors, David Herman, Tobias Kratzer, David McVicker, Lydia Steyer, who was my personal favorite, I don't know how you get on that list. I mean, that list, if you're a director, that list is just sick. Yeah. Yeah. Sick yeah. with how good those people 
and oh. prolific also. So prolific. It's hard to it's hard to really draw a line when, of when who do they is the sleep, most. Matt. When yeah. do these people sleep? <laughs> That's what I don't know. I don't Not during opera box score, for sure. Well, all right. So we struck out on that one. We also struck out on Female Singer. It, well, yes, we did. We we picked Barbara Hannigan as our initial pick, although I, Marlon Bustrom was, I, I thought, was definitely on the short list. You know, she sings a lot in London, and she home team again home team again and that Boom. the clips that they really that they showed of that Zalame that she did were were really breathtaking. so good it it hasn't been a bad week of news for barbara hannigan though actually just this week she was uh, announced the principal guest conductor of the gothenburg symphony which oh. is the national symphony of sweden oh that's so, great you know something for everyone there yeah. and she won a grammy earlier this yeah. year so i think she's fine I think she'll be fine <laughs> and she was definitely sort of a she, you know, she's she's outside of the of the mainstream in many ways, which I think is fantastic. But maybe not what the opera awards are going I, for. You know, I'm still on the fence about her. Just watching those clips of her singing and conducting at the same time. You, you guys were all over her last week. I'm still not sure if I find that appealing or if I just think it's a gimmick. I just find her her intelligence and her musicality are just so unimpeachable to me that I'm I'm willing to. To listen to just about anything, just to see what she manages to yeah, do with it. Because I, I agree, and and she and of, and of course I, I I do have to say I, I do kind of uh, the first time I saw it I kind of thought little gimmicky, but you know I still was a pro pro singing and connecting at the same time. But uh, I do like I do like when she um, branches out and just conducts. Yeah, um, because I think that ends a little bit more. Artistic street cred uh, might be the proper phrase for that, you know, uh, just in terms of she goes she against, can do both. She goes against every single stereotype that people in conservatories have about singers. Right. Yeah, she exactly. She is 100% prepared for everything. She is so musical. She knows the score well enough to conduct it and sing it at the same time and conduct in a way that presumably communicates something with the orchestra while communicating with the audience. That That's a... That's a pretty phenomenal. And her, her standalone conducting is—I mean, it, it is really good. It, it's not—it's not your run-of-the-mill regional symphony orchestra. Not nothing against so my good, regional symphony yeah. orchestras out there. You can tweet hate at me for that one. Maybe she should win an opera award for best conductor next year. Oh, so where did we get it right? We did get it right with uh, best tenor. Oliver and I were both pretty sure that they were best tenor. Best See, tenor. that's a, that's tenor bias right there. Tenors winning awards. I stand by it. We best male singer. <laughs> Uh, who was the tenor, Fyodor Vachawa, uh, who is really, really having a moment. He's actually just singing in uh, the new production, uh, not new production, the revival of the Eliza Moshinsky, Louisa Miller at the Met right now. And here's a clip of him singing the famous tenor aria from that at the Met 50th anniversary gala from last year.
and our new our new music director at the Met, Yannick Neze Senghai, I believe, was conducting their orchestra there for the that was the fiftieth anniversary of moving to Lincoln Center. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it's apparent why he he won. Uh, I I do think I do have to say though, I think he. I don't think he records very well. It, it's he, it's he, a different sound live. Yeah, hearing I, him I, live I, is 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 infinitely better. And so you have singers that go both ways, but uh, uh, but he's he, live. He's he's something else. There's there's a more richness to the tone. Yeah, and it, that is that's something that is just true for voices. I think of a of a specific color of a specific size. Microphones just don't necessarily capture it. Right. That that effectively but he has been singing for quite some time i think he's 50 or 51 really and still and you would never know it because no. the- he keeps getting all the uh the uh young lover tenor roles yeah. so you uh, you know you had some pretty short odds on that you know if those were two to he one was, he was i would say he was favorite by by a head, yeah. uh, the most yeah. renowned yeah. artist in the category. I did get it right on world premiere. This was the opera Hamlet uh, by Brett Dean at the Glyndebourne Festival. It was uh, really good. I, I had a that. little bit of insider information on that. And another librettist tipped me off and said he thought that might be the winner. Now, when we got to new production, Weston, you <laughs> diverged with Oliver. You backed the I did. Uh, production we both, of Death in Venice. Yeah, we both we both picked a different Britain opera, and yes. uh, Oliver, Oliver I, I got to admit, a credit where credit is due, Oliver got he's, this one. He's got an eye for the dramatic. <laughs> you cannot take that away from our man, Oliver Camacho. Yeah, I mean, uh, with, the, with Death in Venice, I really thought the uh, Stuttgart Ballet collaboration was going to put it over the edge, but... Uh, um, ultimately, uh, it was the Billy Bud uh, with the water on stage that put it over the edge. You know, you know, critics love the water on stage; they love it. Yeah, I, I put one of those production photos on our website. Actually, it it looks pretty dope. Yeah. It does look really cool. Yeah. I, I, I would see both productions in a heartbeat. Good year for Britain. Also, a hometown player. If you're oh, talking, yeah. <laughs> Hmm. I'm seeing a pattern. Yeah, this is this is interesting. <laughs> Although that pattern would be broken by our final correct prediction which was uh, for Opera Company of the Year, the Bavarian State Opera. Again, that was a, a clear favorite. I easy think. choice, easy choice. Yeah. From from all angles, we seem to agree. I mean, you talk about, you love, George, you love the direction there. I Some of the singers that I am the most interested in who are currently singing today are year after year at Bayerische Staatsoper. They, they just put together such consistently good shows across all categories. And they stream their operas live on the internet for free sometimes. You know, there's there's yeah. no downsides. Yeah. It's great. It, I mean, it was obviously, you know, uh, that was and that one what not not a hometown favorite on that one. That was uh, that's that's Germany. That was right a true there. victory. A yeah. true win. Yeah. As well, uh just looking down some of the other award winners, uh newcomer went to Barbora Horakova Yoli. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't know who she is because she doesn't have a website. Ooh. I found her on mysterious. Opera Base, but... Uh, may or may not be a hometown. Not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's her maiden name. No, but uh, there's some other stuff on, on her on the, on the web, so a uh, person for me to watch out for, certainly. And then the winner of the Rediscovered Work, this was a production, we didn't talk about it, but it was at um, Frankfurt Opera, a Krenak series of three oh, yeah. operas. I think I've said it before. This is it's really starting to become Krenek's time to shine. Oh right? yeah, it's it's time. It's Bavarian State Opera is doing the big Krenek um Carl V production this coming season. We've moved past the, the Johnny Spielt auf part of Krenek's work and and I don't know why it's happening right now. Why Krenek is being done so much, but it's clearly this is going to be along with Korngold and other uh, undiscovered or, or newly discovered composers, previously banned composers of that era in German mm-hmm. history, or people who deserve Antarctica a yeah, people who deserve a people who deserve a second look. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's very much in the zeitgeist of the moment. I think um, uh, just you know, it, it's a similar period in history. I think to approximately a century and a decade ago, give give some change for better and possibly for worse. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense to bring these uh, bring these operas back. And I, I love Krenek, and I'm glad he's kind of being quote unquote rediscovered. Though I think it's kind of hard to rediscover an op- operas that you know already have studio recordings. So kind of a loose category, in my opinion. Or but, I guess being reproduced. Or, yeah. Or, and I, I don't mean recreated like 
in a production. There's new productions. Of exactly. Them, yeah, and of them more happen. people are are hearing about it. You don't have to be four discs deep into music concrete to know know exactly. <laughs> what he is. Another <laughs> another award that caught my eye is the best recording, which is a new recording of uh, Les Troyens mm. by, mm. by Berlioz, which I think is probably on. F- at least four, if not five, CDs because it's a it's a long one. But that's an opera that really doesn't have a very big discography because people weren't doing it until recently. And it features my personal favorite award for uh, nominee for best male singer, which is Michael Spires. Nice. So, yeah. Not totally shut out. There. It all comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. It all comes full circle, man. So that's it. Another year in the books for the International Opera Awards. I hope they're all nursing huge hangovers. Well, you know the dress code was glamorous. It was glamorous. It was. It was. Can you imagine saying that at the Oscars <laughs> to people? So just so you know, when you come to the Oscars, it should be glamorous. Make sure it's glamorous. <laughs> Who wore it best? I, don't, I wonder if we can find any photos about the International Opera Awards from this year. Who wore it best? I bet they're holding champagne. I just want to put that one hundred. Oh, I, I think one of the sponsors was a... <laughs> was champagne. champagne. Just the, the concept just the of drink. champagne. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Oh, man, it goes so fast. It really does. It goes so fast. Mm -hmm. Good call, bad call. It's when we talk about something that is fantastic in the world of opera or otherwise. Bad call is something which was a total bummer and a total drag. Uh, Weston Williams, what do you got? Well, uh, this coming Saturday is the opening performance of Il Pigmalione and Rita, the Donizetti double bill uh, for Chicago Opera Theater. Uh, if you enjoyed or not, might depend on your opinion of the bel canto. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm excited to see it. That's we'll a fight for another goes. night. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Cummings. I'm excited to see Louisa Miller in, in the Met HD. It's an opera. I think it's got some great music, but it doesn't get done very much. And they are broadcasting it this Saturday, uh, starring Opera Award winner Pyotr Bachawa and uh, Sonia Yoncheva. Very nice. Uh, mine. Is a good call, not exactly opera-related in terms of music, but certainly in terms of scale. My family and I, we went to the Museum of Science and Industry on Saturday down in Hyde Park. And um, one of the things we saw was the U-boat that's there, the U-505. You know this? Yes. I did not know that. I mean, it's like a a Chicago thing that, that... in World War II, the U.S. Navy captured this U-boat and brought it back. And the, the captain of the uh, naval ship was from Chicago, and so it's now in the Museum of Science and Industry. It's a war memorial. It's a military history memorial. It's a memorial to engineering. It's overwhelming. That whole museum is pretty fantastic. And from uh, we got one more good call from, uh, from Oliver, which is to check out Ars Lyrica Houston's Facebook Live video from last Saturday. It was a performance featuring friend of the podcast radio show, Arya Nussbaum-Cohen, including an interview with him during the intermission. Oh, so great. So I will definitely be checking yeah, that out. Yeah, me too. I, is that Thanks. the sort of thing we can link to on our website, or is that just sort of in the ether? We can now? definitely try. <laughs> I'll make a note. God help me, I will try with my Luddite tendencies to make that happen. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's talk radio show about opera. The general manager WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Check out his work at voxershorts.com V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And if you listen to the podcast version of our show, please leave a review. It's the cheapest, fastest, and bestest way to promote our work. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings and Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera, even if it's still freaking snowing in April where you live. We're back on Monday, April 16th at 9 p.m. Central. More opera news, hot takes. Join us. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago's sound experiment.